So, Rachel? Yeah? <gasps> oh! <laughs> On the maiden mission of the USS Enterprise, NCC-1701-D, an omnipotent being challenges the crew to discover the secret of a mysterious base in an advanced and civilized fashion. Hmm. What do you think you're gonna get with the first episode of The Next Generation? A maiden voyage, so it's their first time on the ship together. So there'll be interpersonal bugs to work out. A Trelane type guy, hopefully not speaking Shakespeare throughout, challenges them to a battle of intellect and manners. The secret of the base is it's a tax haven. <laughs> Any accuracy there? Uh, some, actually, yeah. Oh, okay. Surprisingly. I can't wait to watch this! Uh. <laughs> Star Trek! Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Captain's log, stardate 41153.7. Our destination is planet Deneb 4, beyond which lies the great unexplored mass of the galaxy. My orders are to examine Farpoint, a starbase built there by the inhabitants of that world. Meanwhile, I am becoming better acquainted with my new command, this galaxy-class USS Enterprise. I am still somewhat in awe of its size and complexity. As for my crew, we are short in several key positions, most notably a first officer, but I am informed that a highly experienced man, one Commander William Riker, will be waiting to join the ship at our Deneb 4 destination. Welcome to Rachel Watches Star Trek. I'm Rachel Lackey. Whew, I am Chris Lackey. Overwhelmed with emotion here. I can't tell you how excited I am. And guess what? It's a double length episode, so we've got to do two to cover the one. Just when you thought you'd heard the last of the two-parter song, Stop That Single Tear Running Down Your Cheek, it's here! Yay! Yes, sir, we got a two-part show, half of the press of one. Leave the dock with double cargo, that'll take twice as long. Yeah, let's have twice the fun. Nobody called for a two-part show, but it's too much to review. Jones is the next gen, let it go, and quit your hullabaloo. We're splitting the mints at two. Now, before we get into this episode, I'd like to talk a little bit about how Next Generation came to be. Picture it. It's the year mm -hmm. 1986. The original series of Star Trek is still one of the most popular shows in syndication, despite it being off the air for over 17 years. Paramount knew it had a gold mine on its hands, but they had to be careful with it. Oh, yes. I'd already passed my first Hall of Communion and had a mouthful of missing teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it well. I would have been 13 years old, so mm. I was uh, going straight into that puberty. <laughs> Awesome! Now, Paramount was worried that they could hurt their movie sales because Star Trek IV just came out and it was a hit. Mm -hmm. But the original cast was costing too much money, so they needed a new TV show with a new cast. 
Now, Roddenberry, he wasn't going to do this show, but once he saw what they were going to do, he hated it and he decided he had to be involved. <laughs> oh, I thought he would still keep wanting to beat that phase two dead horse until he got it made. <laughs> Some of phase two is still in next gen. Mm, oh. But it, we'll, we'll get to that. Now, Rick Berman, who will be huge in Star Trek, he's a guy that is going to be in all the Star Trek to come after this for quite some time. Is he the new Gene? He's kind of the new Gene, yeah. He was endorsed by Roddenberry as the producer of the show. Now, Roddenberry suggested that there not even be a starship because it's 100 years in the future and they might have developed some other way of moving around the galaxy. Oh, goodness, no. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. (laughs) Roddenberry also didn't want any interpersonal conflict with the crew. He wanted them all to be on the same page with... (laughs) A unified directive because this was a utopian future. Yeah, but then where's the story? It's external. The story oh. comes from who they meet with and who they have to deal with. But the yeah. crew themselves are all working together. Okay. Yeah, I could have done without all the McCoy snarky stuff. It didn't add anything Yeah, for me. It's okay. Let's get into this episode, Encounter at Farpoint. Notice in the opening that it's Patrick Stewart talking and it's changed a bit. Yeah, it doesn't sound as much like Toast of London, Matt Berry. <laughs> You know, Garth Marenghi, that, how do you do? I do know him. (laughs) Yes. That guy, yeah, he's great. No, but it's Space, the Final Frontier. That's the same as the original series. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's continuing mission instead of its five-year mission Mm. to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one. More progressive in the feminist kind of... uh, sphere as, yeah. as you'll see watching next gen they definitely yeah, they give it a go don't they they do push it forward now the year is 2364 this is 70 years in the future did you say from the last movie we saw in some change yeah jean-luc picard is in command of the uss enterprise about to embark on its first mission to deneb 4 the bridge is manned by a tactical officer lieutenant natasha yar is she the one with the blonde demi moore haircut from ghost that is exactly yes denise right. crosby granddaughter of Bing. Oh. But she never met him. Huh. Uh, she was in that movie Pet Cemetery. Oh, you love that, don't you? I did. I, yeah, I love that movie. But I think she was in that movie after the show. She was meant to play the counselor, but huh. the roles got switched. Oh, gosh. Would have been interesting to see that. Yeah, man. I, I couldn't even believe Can't imagine that. that. Yeah. Now, we also have Lieutenant Worf. The Klingon, played by Michael Dawn. He also played Worf in Star Trek VI. Mm-hmm. He was in Chips, but he didn't have much time for anything else, as he has appeared more times as the same character than any other Star Trek actor in the franchise's history, spanning five films and 272 television episodes i knew it was a lot but i didn't know it was that many holy cow yeah because after he finishes next gen he jumps on over to deep space nine and becomes a regular on that show wow isn't he well he is quite likable oh yeah he's great the more time we spend with him you really get into his character he's got a lot going on they'll say it's wrong but still i long to cling on cling on to my cling on Then we have Counselor Deanna Troy. With the miniskirt and the huge hairdo, she's played by Marina Sirtis, doing a fake accent, I assume, as she's from London, mm-hmm. but has Greek parents. Yes. Jean was looking for someone exotic after he'd seen a Latina character in another show and wanted to <laughs> emulate that. We also have Lieutenant Commander Data. The pale yellow one, played by Brent Spiner. He was in musical theatre and night caught, but only in one film. He's not really yellow. He's white, Mm. but he's got yellow eyes. 
Oh, it's a yellowy white. It's a yellowy white, <laughs> sure, but he's definitely pretty pale. Pale, because he's not jaundiced looking. No. No, they don't have their first officer yet. Picard complains that they're being asked to snoop around Farpoint Station, and is unimpressed that he has to define the word for data. He's a likable grump. I don't know why he's likable, but he's very grumpy, isn't he? He's really Really grumpy. Really rude, actually. And I didn't remember him being this way, so I think his character smooths out pretty quickly. Oh, okay. I think they were going for a more father figure kind of... Mm, Disapproving father figure. Or just stern. Yeah. And I think Riker's supposed to be more of the Captain Kirk. (laughs) Dream on, Riker. (laughs) (laughs) It's not happening for me anyway. (laughs) But Picard's like a teacher on the first couple of weeks of school. you got to set the boundaries, be stern, make them want to achieve your approval. Yes. You can't smile, can you? No. I've heard. (laughs) (laughs) Counselor Troy senses a powerful mind, so they go to Red Alert. Is she more an empath than a counselor then? She is a counselor. Oh. But she's also an empath. But people don't have to bother talking in her sessions. She just says what they're feeling. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just because you're feeling something doesn't get to the reasons why you're feeling the things that you're Mm, feeling. Yeah. And she does some full-on counseling later in the show. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. But right now, yeah, she's just, her job's kind of to be an empath at this point. Yeah. I'm already worried about her. She seems very vulnerable. Yeah. She kind of gets kicked around a lot in the first season. Like Tasha Yar, she does lots of kicking. She's head of security. She's the food master. She does a lot of kicking of Troy? No, no, no. Oh, okay. Just in general. Just, okay. In general, Troy gets kicked. Yeah. Tasha Yar does, does the kicking. Does the kicking, but not of her. Not of her. Okay. No, no, no just okay. in general. Yeah. Even just wearing the miniskirt and the way that she's sitting in a very sort of feminine way and the mm. guys are all splayed out because they're wearing trousers made her seem vulnerable in that big chair. Yeah. But it was also the way that she was constantly in some kind of pain or looking really worried all the time. The actress experienced childhood trauma and was still suffering from the impact of that during filming until she recovered in therapy in the 90s. Wow, I didn't know that. And I'm not loving the film roles that preceded Next Gen in which she was the victim of violence in all of them. I feel really protective of her already. Oh, yeah. (laughs) A web of lights begins to appear in front of the Enterprise. Picard orders the ship to full stop. A humanoid blinks onto the bridge in a white light dressed in 16th century European clothing. Yeah, it looks like Thomas More, Henry VIII's Chancellor, or someone of that ilk. And this is the first appearance of Q. Is Q a person or a species? Good question. Oh, okay. Thou art notified that thy kind have infiltrated the galaxy too far already. Thou art directed to return to thine own solar system immediately. Quite a directive. Would you mind identifying what you are? We call ourselves the Q. Oh, thou mates call me that. It's all much the same thing. I present myself to thee as a fellow ship captain, that thou mates better understand me. Go back whence thou camest. Stay where thou art. medics. He's frozen. He would not have injured you. Do you recognize this? The stun setting? Knowing humans as thou dost, Captain, wouldst thou be captured helpless by them? Now go back, or thou shalt most certainly die. So Q freezes Torres. It's a nice effect. Frosty all over. A real show of superhero power. Yes, and he is shipped off to sickbay right away. 
We don't see much of Torres. Oh. Q changes into a Marine Corps captain talking about patriotism and putting an end to communists. Picard brushes this off as centuries behind them, no longer a savage child race, as Q had called them. This is a familiar Star Trek trope, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah, we're getting some of that old Trek magic. <laughs> Being asked to answer for the crimes of the past human race. So Q then changes into a soldier of the late 21st century, this weird body armor that he wears of a military that's controlled with drugs. Yeah, this was really interesting to me. They had these soft black kind of helmet and matching SWAT team kind of gear. Yeah. But he had a tube attached to his uniform, which he sniffs at and smiles as though he's high. Q taunts that when the humans finally reach deep space, they found enemies to fight out there also. Hmm. Picard burns Q back, calling him one of the usual self-righteous beings who punish and judge things they can't understand. <laughs> yeah, we've seen plenty of them before. Mm -hmm. Interesting suggestion, says Q, about the punishment and judgment. I'll be back. So Picard orders no audio transmissions, hoping to catch Q off guard and prepares to perform a saucer separation at high warp velocity. Now, this is a new thing, being able to separate the saucer from the rest of the ship. Now, I guess, supposedly, the old Enterprise could do this, mm. but it couldn't go back together again without, like, heavy repairs. Oh, right. Okay. So, was it, was yeah. It, it's a good idea. Yeah. They're doing this because the saucer section contains families, including children. What? Yeah, they've got children on board because the Enterprise is supposed to be doing a deep space exploration mission and mm -hmm. people would be gone for years wow and so if they're gone for years obviously you don't want to be away from your family so you can bring your family on board right goodness me they should have enough escape shuttles for everybody on board shouldn't they i don't know if they have escape shuttles good question huh. i don't know the tricky thing about this separation that they're doing is they're going to do it at high warp which is something mm -hmm. that they haven't done before but should theoretically be possible Ooh, right both need to be going exactly the same speed. Yes. Now the ship warps away from Q's force field. The force field collapses into a ball and follows the Enterprise, gaining on them at warp 9.8. Now hear this. Maximum you're entitled to know means that we'll be pushing our engines well beyond safety limits. Our hope is to surprise whatever that is out there. Try and outrun it. Our only other option is to tuck tail between our legs and return to Earth as they demand. I presume that's another of his catchphrases, is it? Now hear this. No. No? No. Does he not keep saying that? No, not really. Oh, I quite liked it. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. He hasn't even said make it so yet, has he? No. Not got into his groove yet? No. Picard orders Worf to command the saucer section, which Worf challenges. It feels like escaping rather than going into battle, which is not the Klingon way. This is uh, some exposition for Worf here. He goes, I am a Klingon. I do not <laughs> run away from battle. Yeah, that's all right. I didn't yeah. mind it. Okay, good. Picard overrules him, and along with Yar, Troy, and Data, he heads for the battle bridge to turn back and fight Q. A separate bridge. Well, yeah, if you've got two ships, you have to have two different control centers. The corridors are filled with crew members and families heading for the saucer, and we see, you know, different kinds of aliens, some Vulcans. Real far-out costumes that are reminiscent of the 60s look of the original series. And again, with these kids, I get it that you wouldn't want to be away from your families. However... So dangerous. Space exploration is <laughs> super dangerous, and yeah. they have no idea what they're going to come across. They're always coming across this kind of thing. Yeah. So if you have kids, maybe just not go into unexplored space. Mm, is it not fair for it only to be for the single or childless folk? I guess so. I don't know. But I think it's interesting and it, it provides a little bit more drama 
to the show, the fact that they do have families on board that are vulnerable. And then, of course, you've got family drama that you're going to be able to have on the show that you wouldn't normally have. Oh, yeah. And some kind of creepy, possessed, merry type stuff. I don't think or so. Or whatever but... that bunk bunk on the head one was. <laughs> no? A... No. That's a missed opportunity, isn't it? When what I assume is the new best friends gang, Picard, Data, Yar and Troy. In this new Star Trek, there really isn't a best friends gang. Whoa. Yeah. Everybody gets in the mix. Oh, okay. So nobody really gets shafted. Makes more sense. Yeah. But I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) They enter the battle bridge. Chief Miles O'Brien is already manning the con. It's that Irish actor from everything, including the commitments. He's really funny. Calm Meany, yes. Yeah, I'm, uh, he's a guy that becomes a bigger and bigger part of Star Trek and eventually also becomes a main character on Deep Space Nine. Oh, because he doesn't do much in this episode. No. They separate the saucer, then turn the star drive section toward the confrontation with Q. They fire torpedoes at the object, but they have no effect. They're doing it to blind them. Ah, yes. So they cause a diversion. Yes. Picard sends out a message in all languages and frequencies that they surrender. They are surrounded by a spherical force field and white light, whisking the new best friend's gang, or not, to a World War III-style courtroom. Lots of bawdy, rags-wearing observers baying for blood. Guards are dressed like Q was earlier with the drug tube. The magistrate orders everyone to stand for the judge, but Picard orders the gang to sit. Such a rebel. (laughs) A guard keeps blasting a blowtorch gun in the air, but they still stay sitting. Yeah. The judge is Q, and he glides in on an elevated throne, and he's got this big red gown with a mm. big black headdress. He kind of looks like an inquisitor almost of the yeah. of the Middle Ages, I was thinking. Well, he's very 16th century Europe. He orders that the guard threatening the prisoners to be killed. Ooh. Objection, Your Honor. In the year 2036, the new United Nations declared that no Earth citizen could be made to answer for the crimes of his race or forebears. Objection denied. This is a court of the year 2079, by which time more rapid progress had caused all United Earth nonsense to be abolished. Tasha, no. I must, because I grew up in a world that allowed things like this court. And it was people like these that saved me from it. This so-called court should get down on its knees to what Starfleet is, what it represents. Tasha is frozen and falls, but there's no sick bay here to help her, and no McCoy equivalent along for the ride either. Mm-hmm. Q thaws her though, and the crowd boos. <laughs> Where does Tasha come from then? Well, we find out more of her backstory later. Oh, let's leave it there. Yeah, let's leave it there. Q has two soldiers aim weapons at Data and Troy, forcing Picard to plead guilty. Picard concedes that humans have been savage in the past, but challenges Q to test his crew to see if this is presently true. Q chooses Farpoint Station as the site for this test. The new best friends gang are transported back to the Battle Bridge. It's time to meet Commander William T. Riker, waiting to be beamed up from Farpoint Station to become Picard's first officer. This is the beard guy? Yes, he grows his beard, I think, in the second season. Oh. Because, I don't know, they just don't like him without the beard. Yeah, he looks a bit naked, doesn't he? (laughs) And he's got a bit of a fake smile, so maybe that's what they wanted to cover up. Oh, I love his smile. Riker is in Grappler Zorn's office. Who? He is the guy in charge of Farpoint Station, which is attached to this old city, Mm -hmm. because the, the station is a new thing that they just built. What is it? It's a space station. It's supposed to be a station for Starfleet, so they built it specifically 
for all of their needs and the things that they would want. That's why it's got the mall. But it's also got like uh, energy that it's able to generate. They've custom built this place to be a star base. That's what this uh, Grappler Zorn is like. Hey, look, we built this place. We want to make a deal with you probably to get protection from Starfleet or other technological advantages. They don't really go into the details of that stuff. Just somewhere to stop off and get supplies. Sure. Yeah. Or maybe do scientific research or who knows, mm, okay. uh, just whatever they need a star base for. Hmm. Riker wanted some apples and there weren't any, but then all of a sudden there are some apples and then Riker's like, these weren't here. And Zorn says, oh no, they were here. You just didn't see them. Mm-hmm. And after Riker leaves, Zorn says to the ceiling, you have been told not to. Why can't you understand? It will arouse their suspicion. And if that happens, we will have to punish you. We will, I promise you. Talking to an imprisoned light being, I assume. Hmm. Riker meets up at Farpoint's Mall with Dr. Beverly Crusher and her son Wesley, who is looking forward to joining the Enterprise. It's the kid from Stand By Me! Yes. Ah. Will Wheaton. <laughs> I've heard people saying shut up Wesley, so do fans not like him? Well, a lot don't, but he's a bit of a Mary Sue in the um. show. But over the years, I think people have warmed up to him a lot, especially since Will Wheaton is an uber nerd. <laughs> he was a huge Star Trek fan at the time of the filming of the show. Mm. And he still loves all things sci-fi and fantasy. So he's kind of geek royalty. He's the real deal. Yeah. Now, Dr. Crusher sees a purple bolt of fabric and says that gold would look great on it. And then five seconds later, there's a gold pattern on it. Hmm. We learn that Picard brought Wesley's father's body back to them. His mom shuts Wesley down with an awkward, that was a long time ago. Yeah, there's a lot of her doing parent stuff. And as a parent, I'm really <laughs> noticing, like, Wesley comes in and starts talking to her. She goes, yeah, that's nice. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's got sick of listening to him. <laughs> and I do find Riker a bit creepy. Maybe he's just nervous. Yeah, man, I love Riker. You just kind of kind of get used to him a little bit. He's bound to grow on me because he's obviously a very popular character. Well, and he's pretty cheeky, too. That's like one of the fun things about his guy, which yeah. you'll see later in the show. He's the kind of guy, he, he gets with the ladies, he's the fighter, you know, so he, he's got some Riker foo or <laughs> Riker striker. Oh, uh, yeah, like that. Riker striker. Riker striker. And of course, Picard is the more cerebral side of things, so they're, you know, two sides of the same coin. Oh. Mm. I guess. I don't know. Riker meets up with Lieutenant Jordi LaForge. <laughs> Not Jordy the French Rapping Baby. Jordy is played by LeVar Burton, who got an Emmy for Roots, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's a well-known actor, very well-respected, and it was a big deal to get him on the show. Oh, he was already popular, was Oh, he? yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. We're not really going to touch on him much today, because there's so much going on, and his character doesn't necessarily move the story mm-hmm. forward, but I'm sure we will. Yeah. Soon. The only We get one scene where they talk about his visor and explain that he was born blind and that he has a cybernetic implant that the visor is a part of. He can see on the electromagnetic spectrum, but also he can see ultraviolet, infrared, radio waves, all those types yeah. of things. And he'd rather endure the pain of it than diminish his powers with painkillers. He's kind of constantly in pain because of mm-hmm. these implants. They don't quite work out the way he wants them to. Riker is beamed up to the Enterprise. I like the badge communicators and the little noise they make. <laughs> <laughs> you mean this noise? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is so much to like about this show. Aww. 
So when Riker gets on board the Enterprise, Picard barely acknowledges that he's there in the battle bridge. He has him sit down and watch the earlier part of the episode on a screen, you know, with Q and all that. Mm. And it's, of course, it's the thing that I always hate where they just actually, because all the camera mm. angles are the same. It's not yeah. like a, from an internal camera. Mm-hmm. Oh. Ah. He tells Riker to meet him in the ready room when he's done. Picard then has Riker manually reattach the saucer section of the Enterprise, which seems to be shocking to people. But I guess it's just hard to do. Everyone congratulates him for reattaching the saucer section, but he doesn't actually do anything. He just tells other people to do stuff. Yeah. But they are successful as a team. Yeah, they spend a lot of time on this sequence. And there's a few bits of this first pilot episode that feel like they're stretching things out, (laughs) you know, like up 32 degrees forward. 2%. 2%. Yeah. You know, like all this is like, don't need all this isn't moving stats. the plot forward. What's yeah. going on here? It's just making it feel spacey, I suppose. They had to stretch out probably an hour-long episode into two. Did they? Well, in the conference room, Picard grills Riker about an incident on his last ship that he was on, the USS Hood, where he didn't let the captain beam down to the planet because he thought the captain would be in danger, despite the captain's protests. Smart man. It wouldn't fly with Kirk, though, and I'm guessing it'll fly even less with Picard. (laughs) So we're setting up that his protectiveness of his captain may lead to disobedience and butting heads, I guess. Yeah, well, there's a new development in the way Starfleet works. The first officer is in command of away missions. He even has authority over the captain in certain matters, specifically whether the captain can come down to the planet or not. And it makes sense to me, because I always felt like Starfleet should just have a diplomat on board who is not the captain. Yeah, we know. (laughs) The captain's in charge of the ship. The diplomat's in charge of interacting with aliens. Yeah, yeah. But this kind of does that. They listen to you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. So Riker states that he did the right thing back then on the hood, and Picard agrees with him. He also confides in Riker that children make him uncomfortable (laughs) and that he would like Riker to deal with such matters as they come up. What did you think of this? (laughs) I loved it. It made me look forward to him messing up and it showed vulnerability and humility, I thought, that he admitted to a fault and asked for support with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is cool. He he wasn't just saying, you do that. Wasn't he saying, can you help me do that better? Yeah, Yeah. yeah, he was. Although I can't see Riker being much better with kids personally. Oh, I can. Oh, yeah? Yeah, once you get to know him, (laughs) he's he's awesome. Yeah, he's, he's fun. He's a fun uncle. Okay. After Riker agrees to, you know, helping out with the kids, Picard seems pleased and welcomes him with a smile and a handshake. <laughs> Are his smiles going to be as rare as Spock's? Mm, yeah, pretty much. Okay. <laughs> There's something commanding about a serious, hard-to-please person, isn't there? Someone who's making no effort to be liked. Yeah. We get a scene with Data walking with a very old man down a hallway on the Enterprise, and it is McCoy! What? McCoy's on board the Enterprise being transferred over to the Hood, and he won't use the transporter, and he has to take a shuttle over. Some things never change. <laughs> McCoy is 137 years old, and he's still racist. Oh, he's got a lot of old age makeup on. But why is he talking like that? I thought he was doing a different character. I, I think it was just supposed to show that he spent more time back on Earth, and so he's got more of his regional accent, hmm. I guess. I don't know. I can't particularly see regional accents surviving very well in the Starfleet era. Well, they do, because okay. lots of actors have regional accents. <laughs> okay, good. I like accents. O'Brien's still Irish, you know. But that's a whole country. Talking about American regional accents. Oh, no, they'll be around. He also says about the new Enterprise, you treat her like a lady and she'll always bring you home. (laughs) No, it's much thicker than that. (laughs) (laughs) So he's still sexist as well. Uh. Data also explains that he is an android 
to Admiral McCoy. He's an admiral now for some reason, which he thinks is almost as bad as being a Vulcan. Hmm. Not my favorite cameo. No. Fortunately, it's quite short. <laughs> I have to say, though, I was pretty excited when this was first on and it was McCoy was on the next gen. Oh, yeah? Like, oh, my ah, God. They crossed the streams. They crossed the streams. Now, while on the bridge, Q's image appears on the view screen and Worf pulls out his phaser. Picard lays into him about blasting the view screen. <laughs> Worf wouldn't have done that, would he? That's real lame. Oh, me sorry. <laughs> He's uh, nearly shooting himself in the mirror in the next episode. Uh, oh, boy. Q wants them to hurry it along, but Picard says that they are going to do it the way that they would do it and be judged for what they really are. Mm, I wasn't really sure if he was right, but I liked it. They just have to not be savage, right? Yeah. As no log. Stardate 41153.8. Of the 24 hours Q allotted us to prove ourselves, 11 have now passed without incident. And yet I cannot forget Q's prediction that we will face some critical test. Let's leave them there preparing for this critical test. Oh my gosh. Oh, so Rachel, what's it going to be? You're enjoying this. I actually was really engaged with it. <laughs> I don't know if it's just the novelty of all the new characters, but I was totally invested. And I gotta say, it was better than I remembered it being. Yeah? I think because I was watching the later episodes, going back and watching these earlier episodes, you're like, ooh. But after watching <laughs> Star Trek V and Star Trek VI, uh, I'm like, these are actually pretty good. There's going to be some people out there really shaking their fist at us right oh, now boy. who do enjoy Star Trek VI and don't like this. I know. Sorry. It's just our opinion. It's That's all this is, is an opinion. <laughs> yeah. All it ever will be. Yeah. Uh, join us next week as we conclude our coverage on the episode Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah, join us. And thank you so much for listening. And to patrons, thank you. And don't forget to head over to Patreon and check out all the rewards and extra bonus content there. And maybe join us on the crew for this next leg of the journey. Yeah, it'd be great to have you. And mm -hmm. with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. <laughs> Star Trek!